was just very concussed and we went to the ER and um, then they were like at one point, hey, lay down and don't move because your x-ray shows that your neck is broken. And I was like, what? That sucks because I was walking around going to the bathroom. What's up, guys, and happy new year. Welcome to 2020. Today's guest is a professional free runner and also stunt performer. Please welcome to the Jamcast, Mr. Paul Whitecotton. Yo, what's up, guys? What is up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, dude. I'm doing very well. Yeah. This is uh, this is funny because Paul is on the other side of the cameras for once. Uh, you're one of four people that switches off between Connor, Sam, and uh, Armand helping us out. So yep. yeah, thanks for joining us on the other side. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that uh, people may not realize, but you were gone for quite some time um, not helping us because you just recently got back from Atlanta? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And what were you doing out there? Um, so the official title is now the Tomorrow War. Um, it used to be called Ghost Draft, but I was working as part of the core stunt team out there um, under Tom Harper. Nice. And who's Thank the star of that movie? It's Chris Pratt. Okay. He's also co-producing it. Nice. Yeah. Dope. Well, I know you can't probably talk about what's a part of it and everything you did and stuff, but uh, who was out there on the team with you? Maybe that's stuff we could talk about. Um, as far as Riggers go, so we had like uh, Kevin Jackson, wow. Todd Warren, Josh Mueller, um, what's it, Sean Couts, last uh, yeah. name. And um, we had... Did you guys Nico, have Upton? Yeah, yeah, Steve Upton. Steve thank Upton. you. That's who I was, yeah. uh, Nico Lard. Dope. Uh, and Ben Jenks, of course. Ah, and, okay. of course, Riley and Reed, too. Yeah, so. Totally. That's pretty crazy. You had uh, two guys that we've already had guests on the Jamcast. They were on your stunt team. Yeah, it was actually really nice when I arrived. And I was like, oh, that's Kevin Jackson. We did the podcast. <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> it's so good. cool. It, like, just shows what, like, a small world and community it is. Because, like, look at that. You went on a movie run in Atlanta and... We've had 47 guests on here. Two of them were on the same movie. So, yeah, it's crazy, man. And more than anything, um, your coordinator was someone that's near and dear to both of our hearts who we've worked for before, which is Mr. Tom Harper. Dude, I don't even know what to say about Tom Harper. He's just like super, super chill, but very, very professional at the same time. We get shit done when we need to. If you don't need to be doing anything, he says save yourself. Um, his whole team keeps you safe and informed. Um, you just, and you want to go hard and he, he just really, he's awesome, dude. Yeah. And he definitely rewards people that do go hard. I used to joke that like, if Tommy hears your bag and zip, you're going to get an adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I won't say anything on that, but he's the fucking man. Yeah. <laughs> Which means that they made good adjustments on that last movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And, uh, one of the cool things about that, that, uh, pulls it all full circle here. Um, and me and Paul have had a very unique relationship. I've known this guy for so long, but, um, to bring it full circle back to work, the first time that you ever did a movie run in general mm -hmm. was with me and Ben for Tom Harper, which was The Jungle Book. Yes. And this is your first movie run out of town, and it's with Tom Harper and Ben as well. Yeah, there were a lot of parallels. Wow. And, and it was really, really cool, actually. I saw a lot of parallels and, and then a lot of new things. I reflected a lot on things you'd say, too, because, I mean, like, it, Jungle Book was actually my first actual stunt contract. I mean, really? I, I had done commercial things before, especially things you'd help me get into, but, like, that was all principal performer, technically, no or, or parkour. It was never officially a stunt contract until Jungle Book. Um, and, and then even so, you guys were like, ah, oh, I mean, this is nothing like a real run, you know what I'm saying? And like, I was like, well, I don't know, you know. Man, that's know. crazy. So, I mean, before we go back and talk about all that stuff, is, as far as someone that just came off of their first out-of-town run and for our, our listeners that are just getting into the stunt world, um, was there anything that was different about being out-of-town, like any pros and cons similar to like stuff other guests have talked about? 
Um, I mean, just the unfamiliarity of a spot. If you haven't been there, that was my first time to Atlanta. So there's yeah. definitely just the living situation, getting used to where you want to get food at, groceries, just th- that whole bit, you know. Um, I was blessed with knowing a couple people on the team, like we mentioned. So that wasn't that bad. But I could imagine that if I didn't know anyone, it yeah. would have been a little bit different, you know. Um, you know, I, I had... I was prefaced by a little bit of a reputation, which was good, you yeah. know, because I came in having something to, to, you know, match and that was cool. Totally. And at least you'd worked with Tommy before. So it's always good when you've actually know the coordinator. Yeah. 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 Other than that, I mean, being on different locations, the weather for me personally, I was not used to the cold weather out there. Um, I mean, when we first got there, it was hot, like yeah. 110, 112. I was like, Ooh, cool. But, yeah. Uh, I started freezing uh, the last couple months. And so that was a little bit different just performing in super cold weather sometimes. Nice. Um, but no. And cool. how long were you guys out there total? Shit. Like, uh, like four months. Wow. Yeah. So that's a August, pretty, September, yeah, it's a pretty solid run. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Super cool, man. And what's it feel like to be back home? Very relaxing. <laughs> it, it's a little strange because, like, I have to reestablish some uh, just routines, yes. you know, but I, I also don't want to just hop back into the same routine because I have all these other things I'm trying to get into. And Totally. Um, it's nice, though. I like the weather and, you know. Yeah. It's it's like it's, it's this catch-22, like, double-edged sword that we always talk about, which is, like, when you're gone, you miss home. And then when you're here, you're like, oh, I wish I was working. It's kind of like this juxtaposition in life. But, uh, yeah. yeah, home feels like home a lot of times. It's fu- there are some places out in Atlanta that I, I would think to myself, I would rather go there as a vacation and have some time to check it out. But yes. here on run, I would rather sometimes just stay at the pad and relax if I wasn't working than, than go out and be a tourist. Yeah. As, the, as funny as that sounds. but I think the other thing that happens, too, is like comparative to back home. If you're not on a run at home, you're only working sporadically. So you like you get to train, you get to chill, you get to do your stuff. But when you're on a run, sometimes you're so dead from working during the week that you only want to chill on the weekends. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But I know you guys were on hold a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to say something like that. Yeah, we were. It was, it was a lot of hold days. Oh, that was great. Man. Yeah, I remember getting calls from Ben and Paul. And for those of you that don't know what, we're, uh, <laughs> what I'm referring to, a hold day is when you're on a paid contract, but they know you're not going to be in the scenes for the day. So they keep you at home so that you don't have to report to set. And you don't hit overtime, but you're still getting paid for the day. So hold yep. days are... Uh, those, those blessed days, yeah. Yeah, again, that, that sometimes boiled down to uh, Tommy or Todd just knowing what was up on the day and being mm-hmm. like, no, for sure, guys, you're cool. You, know, you don't have to come in. And, and that's not necessary of them to do, as you know. So uh, it's blessings on blessings when that happened. Yeah, it's definitely something that I, as I start to coordinate shows, I try to let my guys be on hold if they don't need to be there because nothing's more frustrating than when you've been somewhere unfamiliar for like six weeks and you know that you're just going to go sit still in a room for eight hours and get cut, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely something I try to do as I coordinate is uh, make the most of it. So. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love staying in my, you know, full pad gear and harness and wardrobe, <laughs> you know, all day. You know? <laughs> it's nice, too. I have some time off. That's really cool, man. And so for those of them that, that don't know, um, can, before this movie, like you said, your first stunt contract that you had ever, ever done was Jungle Book, which is yes. so funny. I didn't know that was your first stunt contract. I just knew that uh, you were the first person I called. And so to give people a backstory on the Jungle Book, uh, we're talking about the Disney version with John Favreau. came out a few years ago, starring Neil Seti. And um, I actually got the call first from James Young saying that Tommy Harper needed a Mowgli double. And so they were looking at me to do some parkour stuff. Yep. And then when I talked to Tommy, he's like, we're going to need more than one double because there's like wires and there's parkour and we're going to need to like split the load. And first person I called was you. So I was like, dude, especially in mocap world, same size, same height, same weight. They could just take our bodies and just do the same things with them. So, Dude, yeah, that, that was life changing. Thank you again. That 
that entirely changed my life and career path and everything. So, and I think one of the craziest things about it that people may not know is that before you got that call, you had just been coming off of a very major injury. Yes. And how, how shortly after that injury did you take Jungle Book? I think it was less than a year. Wow. I think so because, let's see, after my recovery, it took me about like a month or two to start training again. Yeah. And then I think that's when at some point I came up to L.A. and talked to you and was like, look, I got injured doing something that wasn't making me any money. Yeah. And, um, you know, I might as well take the risk of stunts and, and learning all that and the new thing and, and do that because I got injured anyways. And so I can't let that, you know, stop me or worry me. And for those people out there that are wondering what type of injury took you out for that long, can you explain exactly what happened so I don't say it incorrectly? Yeah, so I, um, I, I displaced the top right wing of my C1 vertebrae by two millimeters. Wow. Um, I basically slipped out of a flip. It was, it was a quad front that I was doing in a foam pit, into a foam pit off a tramp, and my tuck slipped out a little bit. Oh. I basically did a perfect three and a half and landed in a low section of the foam pit, like pretty much stacked vertically, like upside down. And um, the compression just roasted my C1. So instead of four front flips, you did three and a half and landed straight on your head. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, oh pretty much. And um, I didn't know my neck was broken until we got to the hospital. I mean, I went to, through some weird subjective experiences, which I don't really need to mention because it's kind of hairy. But yeah. I, I, I finally came to in the gym and was just very concussed. And we went to the ER and... Um, then they were like, at one point, Hey, lay down and don't move. Cause your x-ray shows that your neck is broken. And I was like, what? That sucks. Cause I was walking around, going to the bathroom. Oh, so like, you were actually physically able to walk around. I yeah, knew they had to pull you out of the pit and that wasn't easy, but yeah, my, my neck was like locked. I couldn't move it anywhere oh. like this or nothing, but it, I didn't feel pain. It was a very strange injury. And, um, so still in the ER, my dad says he's like on his phone, looking up the uh, statistics and per year in the U S there's roughly 11,000 C1 fractures of the type I had. It's a lot. And, um, yeah, about 6,000 on average of those are fatal injuries. Oh my God. And then only 3% of the total come with zero spinal cord damage. And I fell in that 3%. No way. That's not good statistics. Yeah. That's like dude. 50% fatal or more, right? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, man. That's, that's so insane. And how do, do you know, I mean, you may not know, but like, how do the other C1 injuries happen? Cause yours is such a unique situation. I don't know I don't how know, these other people, dude, I didn't even look it up. I just yeah. watched a lot of Netflix and thought about my life for a while. For totally. like, that was an interesting four and a half months of recovery. Yeah. And know? what's the recovery process on a broken neck? Is it surgical repair? Or is it just rest in time? It is a lot of the time surgical, but for me, I lucked out. I didn't even need a halo, which is that thing they bolt oh. into your head and like shoulders and stuff. They just gave me a neck brace and like okay. a special one to shower with which I never used. It was so awkward. So I just took off my neck brace and showered like without it for the full four months. But um, it, yeah, it was just rest and recovery. And I couldn't really, I could walk around, but I couldn't be in a car in case someone else hit us. And, oh yeah. Cause you could get refractured. Or yeah, injured. yeah. Holy crap. That's crazy. And did, uh, when you started coming back from training, did you see any hindrances as a result of the neck or did you have full range of motion again? Range of motion was cool. Although anything like front forward flipping uh, my neck was weak. You know oh, what I mean? Like it took a minute to get this strength back to be able to feel that. And the core strength up here leading into that, um, that was kind of weird. And then what about mentally? Does an injury like that have like a huge impact over your mind and mentality training wise? It, it could have. It okay. didn't at the time. And um, a lot of that was because I was coming from a very familial gym down in San Diego where I had a lot of students, a lot of people. Um, I mean, there's a lot of mutual inspiration going on there. And, and one of the things I stood for at the time was just not giving up or not stopping. And 
I don't think it would have been possible for me to stop and just like see all these kids and then let them know that this person they thought was just going to quit after an injury. Yeah. Totally. Just didn't make sense, you know? Totally. So I had to. You just had to be that example. Yeah. Man, such a crazy example to be too. <laughs> it's one of those where you don't want the uh, the recognition of being the guy that came back from the broken neck necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I mean, would you rather be the guy who, you know, broke his neck and then was just like, oh, I, you know, I can't do it. True story, man. And that's definitely why I wanted to bring it up was to show people that like you can have a traumatic life-changing injury like that and someone like yourself put in the time in the rehab and you came back and went straight on to a full length feature film for Disney, which is one of the biggest yeah. ones in the last decade. So it was crazy. I will say that, I mean, I, I did luck out or it was blessing, whatever. I mean, I didn't have any, um, like chronic damage that stopped me from getting back to where I was. You know, if, if that were the case, I might've gone a different life path and, I think about that a lot sometimes. I think about it all the time because, bro, the funniest thing to me was that as soon as we started working on Jungle Book, we would do things and I'm like, is this good for this dude's neck right now? <laughs> I know, dude. <laughs> Yo, Connor, can you can you pull up some of the Jesus. Jungle Book clips? Connor, see if there's like a Jungle Book clip in there at the... Um... Yo, and if not, we will have to find one and pull one up there, man. That is crazy. Yo, uh, Connor, click a mocap reel. Baba. Dude, thinking about it, even, like, during some of my early parkour years, I remember this one time I tried to do, like, front flip with half twist off a wall and just got the twist in too early and didn't end up flipping. And I just, like, imagine landing on the back of your head and then your whole body weight crunches you onto the 8-incher. Yeah. And uh, it's great. I don't know. Like, kids just don't get hurt like don't that sometimes, no I sense, guess. Right? Yo, Connor, pull this video back to the beginning really oh. fast. And so for those of you that are uh, just joining us on the audio broadcast, go ahead and swing over to our YouTube but what we're taking a look at right now is some of the stuff we did on the Jungle Book, which is like right now we're looking at cliff falls where we're literally jumping from 30, 40 feet and rolling down hills. That's the famous platform jump we had to do, which was from 40 feet high down to the ground. That's where we jumping down the stairs, right? From away from King Louie. Bro, that setup right there scared the crap out of me, dude. I was super nervous on those precisions, man. You remember the scissor lift? It was shaking going up. <laughs> it was one of the only times I've done parkour where we had to get loaded up in a scissor lift to do a jump. And I was like, this is mentally just weird, man. I'm used to climbing and walking, but... And I felt fine about it until you could feel the tenseness or, the, the you know, just everyone in the room like, what's, yeah. what's about to happen? And I think that was, like you said, was the biggest thing is that we're so used to doing this, but everyone around us was like, oh my God. These guys are super high in the air. <laughs> We're like, dude, just stop giving us pressure. Just let us trade, you know? Yeah, I'm not one of those people who's immune to that. Like, if there's some vibes in the room and someone's like, oh, this is sketch, I'm going to feel it and be like, man, I can feel you, dog. <laughs> I'm the same way, man, yeah. But long story short, there's been so many times where on that job or numerous other jobs that I've hired you for where I'm like, oh, yeah, this dude broke his neck before. <laughs> <laughs> should maybe be careful about that. And it's also funny, though, that, like, the career path you chose is stuntman. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where the ob objective is to fall as hard as you can and look like you died and then get back up and do it again. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny, man. But uh, before we, uh, you know, so people kind of have an understanding of how you got to this point and they kind of got to see a glimpse of the stuff that you were doing in that video there. Uh, your actual background is in traditional taekwondo? Yeah, ah. as a kid, it was a traditional taekwondo okay. um, from age 7 to 14. Okay. And um, except for the first year, we trained six days a week. Dang. And so what level did you get up to in taekwondo? It was second dawn, like under official okay. Kukiwan. So um, basically black belt, second, second Yeah, it's like secondary black. black belt. Okay, super cool. And did you ever compete with it, or did you just do it for fun? Um, I did, just like sparring and forums, mostly sparring. Um, I was pretty young at the time, okay. and um, I didn't get really deep into that. 
And at what point do you then transition into PK or parkour and free running for the layman? Yeah, I was like 13 or 14. Okay. And um, it was three runs evolution video on MySpace. No way. I yeah. know that video. Yeah. And I was also really big into Prince of Persia, the video game at the time. Yes. And I was like all about it. And then I saw that video and was like, what people do this in real life? And then I just looked it up and there was a, um, a San Diego place to, to train at. And Nice. Yeah. Just, and what is that? Is that Flip Force or where did you train at? Actually, so I started, um, and it was a forum called PK Cali. Yep. And um, so you remember Silverton? <laughs> yes. And dude. like, and Toad, you know, Andrew Ang, yeah. he was down there too at the of time. Course, and so man. they were doing stuff stuff down at Balboa Park. Some people held sessions at SDSU. Um, and then I can't remember the first gym. I think it was at YMCA actually that I just, I, cause I wanted to learn how to do flips. Uh, indoor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Super cool, man. And so as soon as you got into parkour and free running, you definitely took it like pretty seriously, but was it easy for you at first or what, what really got you into the sport? Yeah. Some things were easy. I didn't know that like it was easy for me. I just knew what I could do. But then everyone was like, what the, uh, your, uh, you know, your jumps are so, I was like, what? And um, I didn't know. So I had strong legs from Taekwondo. That was a huge advantage. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking back at some of my old stuff, I was a little more gangly than I realized, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, unrefined, but flipping um, was a slow process. I had this strength for a lot of things. Mentally, I had to break a lot of uh, barriers at first. But you never flipped before. No, not really. Wow. I mean, back handsprings so help me, like, help me with back handsprings. Okay. Um, and then, no, my teacher at the YMCA was supposed to be a gymnastics class, and then she was just like, ah, like, what do you want to learn? I'll just help you learn it. And it was essentially like an open gym in a class setting. And um, so I just learned backflip, you know, front flip, side flip. And Damn. I didn't get any twists till way later, actually. That's really crazy to hear about because, like, even me who have known you, like, your whole life, I've just always known you as someone that can do so many high-level flips. Plus, you can do flips on both sides. Right. And so, like, I was just always under the assumption that flipping had been such an integral part of your life since you were young, and that's why you could do everything both sides. Yeah, no, not for, uh, no, not for uh, the first 14, really. Wow, that is wild to think about, man. And now when you first started off your training and you're down in San Diego, um, because flipping was so new to you, is that why you really just focused on the parkour and all the plyos and all the precisions and stuff like that? I think so. It was more fun for me also. I mean, uh, at one point, actually, honestly, I remember getting stressed out at the number of flipping variations there were and like <laughs> definitively decided that I would be a purist and just like only just do, do parkour. jumps and, and, and vaults and climb ups and like that's you know no flips but then it was boring I just loved it too much so that's um, crazy how, how old were you in 2008 oh I don't know I'm so bad at doing that math, math quickly well, you See, I was born in 1992 so so 16 yeah so you'd been training like a couple years at that point right mm-hmm. okay and I only asked that because that's the oldest video that we can find still online of you oh, okay yo Connor pull up pull <laughs> sure, up the yeah. first one at the very top go to the very top um, I think this is the oldest clip that still exists of you online, which is something you re-uploaded, which is some stuff from 0809 here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, where are these spots? Are these that's my backyard, backyard right? right? That's your backyard. And then where's that first spot, the roof jump? Okay, yeah, that roof jump is in La Cunada at some high school. Um, okay. And then the split foot precision to the nuts is hilarious. Yeah. Like you would never do that these days. My friend just did that before I did in the same no clip, like the way. whole clip. He did the same exact thing and then I repeated him. This is crazy to see, though, man, because at 16 years old, tears in the game, you're already at some of the iconic spots at UCLA Medical Center here. That's another medical center clip there. So right, you're right. really making the drive. So that's same thing, UCLA, uh, Louval at UCLA. Famous David Bell Famous spot. Famous Kong yeah. Cat, yeah. There's UCLA Medical again. Yeah, these these were a lot of the iconic spots that you had to come test yourself on, you know, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. especially if you weren't from L.A. <laughs> what is that cork? Oh, look at those corks, <laughs> man. <laughs> my mom filmed that clip that was her car I asked her to no film me jump to her way. car yeah 
That's so funny, man. And it's just crazy to see the progression because obviously like that's at the very beginning of your life and your training world, so to speak. And then to see how it progressed over time is crazy. Yeah. And I do, I got to shout out King David. I was going to say right now, there we go. Yeah. King David was influential and, and pivotal in a way that like, I mean, throughout the years, I can't describe because he, he was always there pushing me in subtle ways. And, and um, it wasn't until later that I realized how like nasty and talented he was as a person. And he would just slip me whatever I needed to hear at the right time to kind of level up, you know, and, Bro, and he knew me so well. You know, it was really cool. I mean, especially for a midget. My dude. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, dude he was dancing one time. And I said, oh, let's do some waves. He's like, I don't wave. And I was like, what do you mean you don't wave? He's like, I look like a brown worm. <laughs> <laughs> oh man and you know what's crazy is a lot of kids that are listening to us talk right now are gonna have no idea who king david was because he was underground when we were around yep so kids nowadays will have no idea so guys if you get a chance go look up king david parkour there's like old reels from like 2009 2010 he was a super underground parkour guy he used to not train in public so people couldn't buy his stuff yep and um before long, I formed a friendship with him through our friend Andrew Eng. Mm -hmm. And then before long, we actually formed a team, which was known as the Lost Boys. For anyone that's seen the famous LB shirts, you know, LB, holla. And um, through King David is how we stumbled upon our youngest member, which was you. And yeah. that was because at the time, King was dating your sister, funny yep. enough. Yep. And we were like, well... Paul's awesome. So, I mean, if, even if you guys break up, Paul's on the team, right? <laughs> yeah, thank God, right? <laughs> thank God. Thank God. Thank God we put that out there. Yeah. Keep me up, chill. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, man. But it was so cool because all of us were like, you know, we were all moved back to LA pursuing stunts and you were still like a little kid down in San Diego just ripping it raw. So yeah. It's yeah. cool for us to watch as like the older guys. Dude, I had um, I have memories of talking to you when I was like 17, 18, being like, yeah, man, like shit's whack with my parents. I like, got to move out. And, like, just, and you're like, yeah, man, you can like crash like 200 a month. You know? And I was like, yeah, I can make that happen. It wasn't like till what, 22 that mm -hmm. I moved up. It's an angsty teen. Like, it's, yeah, I can move up. I'm like, nah. It's crazy to see, though. But over the course of the, of the years, man, you really progressed and like made your own impact on the, uh, the American parkour scene, especially because, Thank you. you know, we always kind of joke about it, but you know, let, let's be honest. The Europeans whoop our ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are, they're, they're light they're years savage, ahead dude. of us. Yeah. They're light years ahead of us, um, in that regard. And so, yeah, to, to have guys in, in the U S that were repping parkour like you was really key. And I think, uh, one of the things that really highlighted it besides all your videos, cause you have a laundry list of reels we could look up and watch Kong gainers and double side flips and all that. But I think one of the coolest projects you got to do back in the day that really got you some notoriety and worldwide recognition was a documentary known mm -hmm. as people in motion. Yes. And so what was that about and who was involved in that? Okay. So that was uh, man that came up out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. So on a forum, someone wanted to meet parkour people just to get some slow motion footage that all very quickly snowballed into, uh, we want to kickstart this on, you know, and, and get crowdfunding and make a documentary about people who move athletically and why and um, what benefits it has for them. And, and then, but the director and producer at the time, Cedric Dahl, you yes. know, quickly, you know, where he was in his life and meeting all of us, he quickly fell in love with it himself and just um, this whole spiritual aspect of it. And so we ended up going and touring, doing parkour in different spots, moving around, but also going to Burning Man. Yeah. And um, just kind of showing a very human side to parkour, you know, not what it could be for an athletic sport, not necessarily what it could be for um, a career choice, but just a human aspect of it. What is it to these people? Yeah, 100%. And I remember, Connor, pull up the uh, People in Motion trailer. I think one of the most iconic clips that we could just look at the first 10 seconds of it is literally, uh, I think it's like the first jump in the whole thing. Yeah, it's this oh, one. Yeah, this yeah. is where you're jumping across the love sign that's spelled out. And uh, I won't give it away, but you go for the pre, 
And what happened? <laughs> some, <gasps> oh some shit my happened. god! Should I say or should we? Yeah. Not what happened? Talk? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I'll be real about this. I'll be real. In yeah. I had tested you it. You're crazy. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I had tested it um, just to a cat. Yeah. You know, and just I did the stride and catted the L, and it was cool. I tore my hands up. That thing was like a cheese grater. Metal, right? It's metal with stamps cut out of it. So I had five rips on my hands and said, okay, I have to get, I have to, get to the top. In the air, I was thinking to crane it just to oh, a test. And yeah, then I was yeah. like, ah. And I just went for the pre and slipped out. The L moved and I just, uh, what happened happened. You know, I just kind did of. You, did you fall? Because it cut out and faded out at that point. What happened? Um, it looks like you started almost flipping. I did. I started to flip and just thought like, oh, maybe I should get my legs down so I don't <laughs> land on my face. And I just folded up and my feet landed and I was able to kind of roll off kind of chill. And No way. So yeah. no injury. No, nothing. No injury wow. there. Wow. Very strange that um, that whole area, you know, I don't want to sound corny, but it is a very loving area. That love sign is where a lot of people at Burning Man get married. And there's a ton of couples there just taking pictures and people were freaking out. But then they were like, yeah, he's alive. Some dude started doing cartwheels. He was like so happy. He just started doing cartwheels in the plateau. No way. That's crazy, man. And now one of the things I want to bring up and like we could figure out how much you want to talk about this or not. But to me, one of the wildest things of the whole project was that you got paid in Bitcoin back in the day. I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Dude. Back when it was worth how much a coin? Yeah, so I really jacked that investment up. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just put that out right there. So someone, you know, listening, excited to see how much profit I made. No, I, I fucked up. But that's what I want to talk about is like, this was at a time when Bitcoin was a popular. How much was it equivalent to and how much did you get? Oh, man. Um, I think four Bitcoin or something was like $800. Oh my God. (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you like sell one at a a point to like buy something or eat or something? Um, Could be wrong. Because you cast them out at some point. I don't know. I did some weird thing. I I don't even remember. I kind of pushed it out of my memory at some point when I realized how badly I What year was people in motion? That was years ago. 2010? Damn, it was that long ago. You had Bitcoin that long ago. Yeah. Well, dude, uh, I don't want to blow Cedric's spot. Exactly. I mean, That's why I didn't want to get too yeah, no, deep. No, no, but you know, yeah. he's cool. I mean, he has a public YouTube channel and stuff, so okay. he, he talks about this. It's not it's not um, private, yes. but he he's huge in the Bitcoin world and like in the crypto world. I mean, way back before I even knew him, he was buying at least one a day. Yeah. You know, when they were like fractions of a cent. And he, he was just very, very intelligent with what he's done with it. And now he just tries to help people do the same, which is cool. Yeah. He, which is what he tried to do for me. But, uh, you know, I was <laughs> buying shit and teaching private lessons. And, like, I was like, oh, man, I could just cash out a Bitcoin right yeah. now. Like, idiot. But oh, my God. It's cool. I like earning money, too. Yeah. So that's that's cool. None of us could have ever foreseen the what the projections were a couple of years ago. None of us would have ever seen it getting to a $19,000 evaluation, you know. Right, so, right. Not at the time, but yeah. it's cool. Everything's twenty and twenty twenty in hindsight, right? So yep. like, wow, all part of the journey. <laughs> yeah. Man, there's so many things young me did. I'm like, dude, come on. Oh no, trust me, man. I've made some mistakes too, like in the past where I'm like, Oh, I missed that boat and I had a prime opportunity. So uh yeah. It, but I wouldn't be good. here. I wouldn't be here talking to you. I, I would be right. rich in Bitcoin. And, Maybe a millionaire you know, and gave up training. I'd be like, I'd be like, have a podcast. I'd be like, you know, fuck. Exactly. So I'm glad I'm here. That's what See? I'm saying, man. If yeah. you had that many Bitcoin, yeah, I probably may not have been friends with you. So, oh, uh, it's too good, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would just so be, I'd just be the producer on the shows you coordinate. Yeah, you know, man, but no, so funny. But no. but no, it's all a blessing, man, because not only are you here, but like, 
we've had the incredible opportunity to work on so many jobs, partially because you're the same sizes as me, so I always refer you. Yeah. And also because, you know, when I have a chance to hire my friends, I'm obviously going to hire the people that I know are best for the job. So, like, man, we've done so many things together from music videos to TV shows to movies. Um, and I think you um, most recently, like the biggest role that I wanted people to know about that you kind of took over for and are killing it on is uh, you are now one of the main guys that does motion capture for the Call of Duty franchise. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And so that's one of the things where uh, over time uh, I was down there for quite some time. I kind of segued out. Ben Jenkins started going in. Yeah. Ben kind of segued out. And now you're in there just all the time killing it for him. Yeah, dude, I dig it. I love those dudes. It's yeah. um, it's a fun time in the studio all the time, you know? Yeah. And what are you mostly doing? Because, like, when I was in it, some people know I was playing, like, the character of Takeo Masaki. Yeah. Um, what are you mostly doing in the motion capture for Call of Duty? Um, so I take the approach to just, like, throw me in, coach. Like, I do all of it. So we could do locomotions from, like, all the tedious stuff of every single archetype um, of the characters. We do AI. We do um, some of the interactive stuff. We do the um, what's called cinematic scenes. Um, sometimes we put the headgear on and do some dialogue or we just walk through and get facial expressions for stuff. Um, we do it all. We do the zombies, man. I do a mean zombie, yes. you know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and more than anything, I'm glad that you do the locomotions because for those that are listening don't know what that is, that's like all the basic stuff, which is just like walk forward, turn left, walk forward, turn right, walk yeah. backwards, turn left, run forward, turn left, jog forward, turn left. It's like every variable at every different speed, every direction. Yeah. I mean, there's like five or six different directions you could be looking at, three different speeds, mm-hmm. and then in every single weapon archetype you can think of, and you got to do that forward and backwards and in curves. Yeah. And uh, it's great. And if it's a reaction, then you have to react to uh, like low impact, medium impact, high impact mm-hmm. from standing, from kneeling, from prone, from crouch. Yeah. All the different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's very likely that many of the deaths people see in the game are my body ragdolling, yeah. you know? It's definitely not me anymore because I said, don't call me in for those long days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm too old to be doing those, dog. <laughs> I'll be losing my mind, man. But uh, now it's really cool to see the progression on that stuff. Has there been like a favorite moment or thing that you've gotten to do in Call of Duty? in general or is it just the job that's cool overall um yeah there are moments I, I just can't remember anything off the top of my head but i know i've had a blast there and just been laughing full like hours of the day they're working with these people just getting yeah. stuff done um shout out to uncle noel like yes. he's just I, that's one of the things i look forward to the most is working with that dude because he's always making me laugh he's just a you know great dude so it's either him or his shoes that make me laugh oh yeah <laughs> i was like you're too old to be wearing those shoes what are you doing with spinners with spinners and stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. shoes that every time he stepped a spinner would spin like a wheel and i'm like <laughs> wear those man you're a stunt coordinator and you're an older stunt coordinator too that's uh, good man. uncle noel man that's too funny dude oh that's super cool man and now over the years you've had the chance to do a lot of other jobs from you know motion capture to live shows i even put you on a live music tour at one point yeah and uh you've done Talking about street beat right street beats oh yeah. my lord yeah and you've done film and tv now and commercials uh is there a job that stands out to you or an aspect of the industry that you find most favorable that you like to do Mm. not particularly no i mean at first i really liked it if i got to do parkour on jobs um but but now i i mean i actually prefer getting in and thrown into something new and just having to very quickly adapt and be like okay how quickly can i learn this and just make it super sick and and um, I like the falling aspect more than I like the parkour. Parkour nowadays is much more personal for me. Totally. So as far as industry stuff, like, I mean, I love doing it. I'll do it. But um, I, I think more than anything particular, um, I just like working with friends. And I like yeah. that, that experience of coming together to make something that we all feel proud about. 
Yeah, 100%, man. And I think that it kind of is funny. Is like we do the stunts as a job now. And then I think for fun, we train parkour and tricking just like on our off days in order to keep our brain and body sane. So yeah. yeah. How, how many days a week do you train now? It, it varies like from anywhere from like three to five, depending on what else I'm doing. Okay. You know, I will take some weeks off where I just decide to do life stuff that's non-physical or maybe I'll just want to stretch and recover. Yeah. Okay. Um, I try not to hold myself to a schedule too hard. You know, that tends to stress me out. I like a, long, a non-linear fashion okay. in terms of things and just things pop up at the right moment. Yeah. Kind of go with the flow very chill mentality if that makes sense yeah yeah because yeah. i feel like I've, I've been i've gone through it i've like done this where i really trained solid regimen and stuck to it i've done ones where it was no schedule at all and, and then thought i could get back into it just as easily and wrecked myself doing that so now i monitor it really well and like just keep all those things in mind and i try to balance my life out so i'm not just an athlete either yeah 100 percent. and it's crazy man it's a uh, it's, it's definitely a, a telling of the maturity that's happening within your brain ment- mentally and physically that you're like able to like kind of just decide when is the right time or not instead of pushing. Right. Yeah. 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 It, it's not as I'm not as eager anymore. It used to be like, oh, I really got to do this thing. Like it's going to be so sick to like, you know, and it would be sick, but it's also cool to do other things. Now and, it's like be disciplined. We can wait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy, man. And now along the lines of uh, like how much you train and stuff like that, because obviously anyone that follows you online sees all of the high level moves and tricks and stuff that you're throwing down. Um, but I think one of the other things that uh, it doesn't necessarily define you, but like is a huge characteristic and part of your life that I've always identified you as is a and I think this may blow a lot of people away that don't know this although most people do which is a you're a fully vegan professional athlete yeah and how long have you been vegan for um consistently since I was like what 23 now you know and um but on and off since I was 17 for various reasons I mean how many years is that in total that's I'm 27 now, yeah, so, so 10. 10 technically. Yeah, but there were there were pauses. Like I began experimenting with it at 17, and then um, like during my recovery when I broke my neck, yes. for example, I was just eating whatever mom was making at home. You know, I wasn't going to be fussy about that. Of course. Um, and then I was eating fish on Jungle Book back when, like when yeah. I was like 22. Mm-hmm. You know, but then so far, like consistently since then. Wow, that's insane. And what was it that got you to delve into, I guess, trying it out or experimenting with it? Because at one point in my life, I did the same as a result of seeing you do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, originally, it just it found me. So I was working at Jamba Juice at the time, actually, uh, unrelated. But mm-hmm. then a coworker was like, oh, I'm vegan. I was like, oh, what's that all about? And he just talked about it. Um, a friend of mine, uh, who like one of my best friends nowadays, was also vegan. And he just told me his perspectives. But they both said, uh, you might be more flexible. And so I just cut out red meat. That was the first thing I did. And okay. um I, I just went from there and I just, you know, kept going. Wow. That uh, is I mean, I'll, I will say other things kind of have kept me maintaining uh, that lifestyle and a plant-based diet and like a vegan lifestyle. But uh, initially it was just, uh, I'll give it a try because I don't know until I try it. That's wild. And now obviously the question that I got to ask you that everyone asks, which is, are you able to still maintain a physical shape? And obviously I know the answer, but how do you feel be- being able to eat and obviously recover and feed your muscles? Yeah, I feel great. Like, uh, honestly, I feel like I, once I became vegan or at least more plant-based, um, I heal faster. I feel like the less inflamed, um, wow. like there is a transition and I won't get into the details of that. I mean, you have to learn how to eat more. You have to learn what to eat and yes. blah, blah, blah. But, um, overall I feel fine, you nice. know? That's super cool. Yeah. And I think, like I said, it's not something that defines you, but I think it's just a unique characteristic that is cool for other people out there to see that someone that performs stunt work at a high level and parkour at a high level uh, is able to maintain this for, you know, years and years and years right now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I guess the the one one of the things that must be super difficult is when we're on set and locations Yeah, um, is that you have to just be very mindful of like 
what they're cooking at catering and what's going on. And that's the biggest issue that I've, I've always had. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just rice and beans, you know, but, <laughs> but I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Like vegan or not, like I tend to not eat that much on set anyways. True. I mean, I, I mean, I lost a good like 12 pounds on this last run for just from being on set and being ready and geared up. And I'm like, I do not want to eat right now and, and then get pulled to the deck. And um, so sometimes I just don't eat, but generally speaking, I can find some kind of staple or just like, you know, be prepared and bring my own stuff. It's not too bad, but yeah. 100%. But I, also personally, I don't really care too much if like my weight fluctuates. I know a lot of people like guys, will just, I'm trying to walk around at 170 all the time and not drop. I'm like, I really don't care all that much if my weight fluctuates. I mean, I'll go and lift if I want to and build up, you know, but if, if I get busy and I lose weight and it's fine, I still have energy to go throughout the day and um, I don't feel unhealthy and like blood work is fine. So I'm like, yeah. cool, that's fine. Like, yeah, that is that is interesting what you said. It's kind of like the male, male ego that kind of wants you to stay at a certain weight and stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm dealing with that right now coming off of a, a foot injury that had me bedridden for two months. I lost 18 pounds of muscle and now I'm like, dude, I don't even feel like the same person anymore. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Yeah, it's so strange. So I'm just slowly putting it on right now. But that's cool, man. It's really cool to hear that uh, someone like yourself is still like active in it and, um, you know, you're still able to maintain it and perform at the same level yeah hell yeah it's pretty cool and now one of the other things that um i guess that you've really been focusing on over the last couple of years is just like i don't know how to explain it man but i think you just have like a really unique perspective on the world um and i don't know if that's uh if it's going to translate over this podcast to people that are listening out there to us but you've always like looked at the world from a very different perspective um than a lot of people do especially like here in la um in a city where people are just part of the rat race and always busy and stuff, I'll log onto your Instagram and you're stacking rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like zenning out and like burning sage in the house. And I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> I know, dude. <laughs> Truth. Mm. Just doing some far out things. Yeah. Yeah, man. And uh, I mean, like, I mean, it's not really a question, I guess, that you have an answer to, but like, is there uh, a way that you approach life every day that keeps you in that state of calm or in that state of, you know, I guess, inquisitiveness about the environment? Um, not intentionally. I think I'm just like this. Wow. You know, I've always kind of been in my head. Um, a recurring motif as a child that I heard was think before you speak. Yes. And um, I didn't need to speak much. I was just always thinking about things. Uh, my dad is very scientific, very rationally minded. My mom has extremely devout faith. Yeah. And so I was, you know, right in the middle. And that that's an interesting combination. And then um, growing up, I just, I, I was a younger sibling too. So I got to see that and I just studied a lot. I always watched and observed and thought. Um, I always kind of feel like I'm half here and half not here, you yeah. know, Um Unless I'm extremely physically active, that's a nice way to just feel completely grounded in my body. But I'm always pondering something or just catching my mind wandering off and re refocusing myself. You know? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's a cool way to look at things, though, because especially like just from a, a personal perspective, like looking at you comparative to me, it always makes me be like, oh, dude, just take a deep breath right now. <laughs> you cool. know? Yeah, yeah. yeah, go stack some rocks or something. <laughs> like, look how peaceful Paul looks. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, I, tr I try, man. Like, I don't really know what to what sense to make of life generally. I mean, I, I can make sense of my career, my personal self, like my like friendships and things to to whatever extent. But, um, yeah. you know, we talk about this. Like, what what is it that we're doing here? And, like, that's not a you, – you can't – sum up an answer to questions like that and you have to take your life chunks at a time and kind of reestablish every so often what you're trying to stand for what you're trying to create or what you're trying to bring and uh and why you know yeah. 
Or you could say, fuck all that and stop thinking about it and just try and live and, and you sure. know, and go, you know, experience things raw. That is true too. That's, that's interesting. And now along the lines of that and kind of getting like philosophical, um, is stunt work something that you perceive yourself doing for the rest of your life? And I guess I'll tag that on with parkour as well, parkour and tricking too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure at some point I'll stop just because of physical demands and things uh, for, the, for the next five years at least. Definitely, yes, I want to continue. Um, I guess it'll depend on if I get into learning how to do rigging as well because, I mean, I, I caught an interest to that just watching the riggers on, on oh. the Tomorrow War. Wow. And um, so I could see if I got into that, then my career in stunts would probably go a lot longer. Yeah, because you don't have to hit the ground. You just got to... <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Um, having said that, though, I do have a lot of other passions that are completely unrelated to the entertainment industry yes. completely. Um, whether I could monetize those or would I want to monetize those, I don't know. So um, it just depends on a lot, I guess, but... Are there any of those that you could talk about on here or anything down the line that you've kind of thought about? Uh, yeah, generally. Like, I, I really want to do more human things, by, like art. I want to create things. Uh-huh. I want to produce things that have value only within the human experience because they may not make anyone money or they might not um, be, like, useful like a tool is, you know, or actual, like, yeah. items like computers and stuff. Um, I want to do that. I want to paint more. I want to read and write more and okay. just exist more, you know? Dope. Okay. Yeah. Sounds a little weird, but like, you know what I mean? Just be and like uh, actually take things in and observe and and find the experience uh, to be something I appreciate, you know, instead of just kind of going through things and like, I don't know, there's, there's goal mode where I have goals and it's always just like, what am I doing to get there? And then on other days, it's like nothing is going on and all I can do is observe. Mm-hmm. And um, if I don't feel good, then I'm just like, well, I'm not appreciating things because there's literally miracles everywhere if yeah. you pay attention to it in the right way. Most people just don't slow down enough. Yeah, and it's very interesting that you kind of said like, you know, you have goals of like doing art and writing and drawing and you're like, it's kind of weird. But what's funny is like, it's only weird just because of the day and age we live in. Yes. Like if, if you take this back hundreds of years ago, like that's one of like 10 things you could do, you know, right. There's, yeah. there's no other, you're not out here watching your, your iPhone or like getting on TikTok and Instagram. It's like you read and write and draw and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I had this, there's this irony occurring to me right now though. I mean, we, the entertainment industry is in its own right, an art form. I mean, it's communication, you know, um, I just want to do one in a more personal way, yeah. I guess, you know, totally. And also probably like on your own accord, because right now, as much as we are a part of the entertainment industry and creating uh, art, that's going to last forever. We're creating other people's art. We're just like a right. fraction and a sliver of their overall vision and dream. And it's yes. not like your own dream. So yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely interesting. Also want to travel more, you know, just yeah. go see things and yeah, I mean, you've traveled a bunch, so I have a lot of stories. I'm like, dude, I want to go and see that or check that out. I guess I'm just waiting for the right moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I know I'm always trying to get you to go on trips with me to, to Europe. We got to make an Amsterdam trip sometime soon. Dude, I know. Yeah, there's a, there's a list building up of people who want me to go places. And I'm like, this this could be good or I might get strung up all over the world somewhere. <laughs> Let's like, exactly, you know, man. traveling around with all these people. Yeah, at this point in my life, man, like I've accomplished a lot of things. Not and Not all my goals by any means. I've done cool stuff, made good amounts of money. I'm at this point in my life, instead of material things, I'm all about collecting experiences and memories. You know, it's like, it's the priceless things that uh, I can't go out and buy. So I'm going to just try to uh, use the one thing that's the most prized commodity of mine, which is time. And like, I'll allocate time towards other things, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's wild, man. So, um, you know, we kind of get into this and you know, this from watching and observing so many episodes over the, over the time. But, uh, what, do you have any 
goals for the future or any regrets in your career thus far or any advice that you would lend to performers that are just starting to get into our our sides of the industry or what would you tell like a young 14 year old kid in san diego right now that wants to get into what we're doing um let's break that down hall was the first yeah bit yeah, first. The, yeah well yeah. i mean it's it, the whole thing is just overall question which is like is there any regrets or any lessons you've learned over the course of getting into this industry that you would have done differently either to save time or to avoid something. And then secondly, like that same advice, how would it translate to like a kid that's trying to get in the industry? So they're kind of along the same lines, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, no, no actual regrets. You know, I'd say I would have done a few things differently. I mean, budget your money better. Kept your Bitcoin. Um, yeah. (laughs) Save your Bitcoin. Don't, don't buy expensive shit you don't need, you know? Yeah. Um, study the game more, you know, just get in there and study the game more, get out there and learn assume that you don't know enough yeah you know know what you know you know so if someone asks you but just, just assume you don't know that much because i've learned so much and got my mind blown a couple times like wow you know um don't feel rushed i mean time is of the essence don't waste your time but i felt like real stressed at some points just trying to make it happen until a couple people were like yo man it doesn't happen that fast sometimes and you just gotta sit with that and sit in the weird void moments of life where it doesn't you're not sure if you're gonna make it you know yeah totally um, yeah, I don't know. Just, just try. Like everyone has a different, um, path into it. It's it would seem, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I feel kind of lost when I try to tell people how to get into it. Yeah. Um, it's very personal, but I'd say like the strongest thing you must do is hold an intention and not let go of that, that you will make it okay. and that you want to, you know, if you, if you lose sight of that, then you won't even get the physical opportunity showing up in front of you to, to do that, you know, to take, yeah. You know, you just have to know that they will come up and that you are deserving of them. And when, and so when you get your chances to prove that to yourself and to other people, you better fucking do it, you know? Yeah, 100%. All right, now I got a two-part question, uh, one of which is, do you still watch PK and tricking these days, and where do you think it's going to go in, like, five to ten years from now? Okay. I do, but I'm not, like, in it, in it. Yes. I watch it. I mean, in general, I try and stay off Instagram and social media. It's just, like, a lot of, uh, it's a time sink, and my brain just soaks up so much stimulus. Totally. And, um, but I I tend to watch it just to know kind of, like, what the biggest trick lately has been, or, um, I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, it just tends to find its way to me. I don't actively look for it. It's just everywhere now, because that's the things I tend to follow in pages. You know, yeah. sort of pops up in my feed, or, or my friend sends it to me, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I'll just go back and watch classic videos, honestly, of people I like to watch, and um, just obscure people. Okay. And, um, yeah, no. It, where where do I think it'll go? I don't know. This, this is one of the reasons I don't watch it, is because I, I don't relate to it the same way anymore. I agree, yeah. I you agree. know, so I think it's going to go in a way that will commercialize it, which I think is a good thing. It'll get more people the opportunity to know what parkour is about and do it for whatever reason they want to. Totally. Um, I think some people will make a career out of it, which is cool, because even when I did it, people were dreaming about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Right now, I don't think that the, uh, the the dopest athletes out there are getting paid nearly enough for the skill level that I witness. Agreed, yeah. Um, like, I'll, I'll spin this perspective, right? I mean, we don't know of any other time in human history where people have, have moved in this fashion as as our species, you know, in these environments. And it's, it's very artsy to me, in yes. a way. And, like, it's so personal to these people. And whether they ever think about that or not, like being the first human to ever do a certain thing or whatever, I mean, they're pushing the limit as part of humanity and their heart's in it. And, like, I respect that deeply. And um, just like most artists, like they don't always get paid for that. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, totally, man. That's a 
it's a cool way to think about it, and hopefully some of those things will come true because uh, the game's evolving so much. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, mm. And then, you know, as always, there's not a right or wrong answer to this one. If you don't have one, it's all good. But okay. uh, where do you see yourself personally in five years, and then where do you see yourself in 10 years from now? Mm, 10 years, I'm definitely going to be that fat Asian dude. <laughs> <laughs> no. Still vegan or no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just going to load up on potatoes and shit. <laughs> um, candy. No. Okay. Uh, man, I don't know. I, I try not to think that far ahead. Cool. Uh, how, how am I going to be like personally, how am I going to be with myself? I'm going to be happy. You know, I'm definitely going to know myself and, and I'm still going to be shocking myself too of, of like learning things and relearning things. And, um, I think I'll be more familial. Cool. Like growing up, I was very much tight knit to a family or a friend group and like moving out here became uh, much more independent and just kind of, you know, I don't want to say lonely or alone. I feel it's have a wrong connotation, but you, you must do things alone a lot yeah. just to get somewhere. And so like five, five years, I want to be more closer in my community groups again and doing things that aren't career related. I just step back from a lot of things that I truly enjoyed just to get here. You yeah. know? And I think it was a proper sacrifice. And I don't know. Just, I, I want to get back to it because uh, life should be about just connecting with other people. And I do miss that at times. So. Hell yeah. I think that's super cool, man. And I think all the things that you've shared have been a very unique perspective comparative to a lot of the other guests that we've had on here, even though you're probably one of the younger guys. So, mm-hmm. yeah, more than anything, man, thanks for uh, taking the time to to share those with us. And, uh, you know, also thanks for everything over the years, man. You've been a guy yeah, that I've you. been able to call on to fall down staircases for me and <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah. jump over rooftops and buildings. And uh, I always know that I can trust you and more than anything that um, I know that I'm going to have a good time working with someone that's not only like a colleague, but a friend and a family member. So hell yeah. Here's to many more, dog. Yeah. Thank many you. More. Hell yeah. So before we get out of here, man, if you can just real quick, look into that camera and uh, let people know where they can follow you and stay up to date with you, whether that's social media or whatever your platform is. Yeah. The only uh, public thing I got is Paul White Cotton on Instagram. You can follow me there. Um, like message me, whatever. I don't, I want to give my email address out, you know? All so good. Yeah. hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. And, uh, as always guys, please be sure to smash that like button, comment and subscribe for brand new episodes each and every week. Join us weekly for brand new jam breakdowns and brand new jam cast interviewing influential members of the movement community, like Mr. Paul white cotton himself. So, uh, as always guys got to give a very special shout out to Mr. Connor Simon for running the cameras in the switcher app. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Connor. Got to give a special shout out to our guest this week, Mr. Paul white cotton. And uh, as always, guys, coming at you, coming through. I'm your host, Travis Wong. Thanks for joining us here on another Jamcast. Until next time, we'll see you all soon. Peace. Peace.